Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by... Megan Stringer, City Hall reporter. Brian Chasnoff, investigative reporter. Metro editor, Greg Jefferson. Last week, we saw, uh, I think what was the, the most contentious, maybe the most intense uh, city council meeting that we've had in, in quite a while. Megan, you covered this. This was uh, a vote on a resolution that would, uh, uh, in support of uh, abortion access, um, the council uh, approved the resolution by a nine to two vote, but you know, had a lot of uh, uh, division. You had a lot of uh, public uh discussion about the community. A lot of people came up from the community to speak. Um, freshman council member Terry Castillo was was the, the driving force uh, behind this. Um, what what does the, I think you pointed out that this is primarily symbolic, but what was she hoping that this would, would achieve? And, and are there some practical um, applications of, of this, of what they passed last week? Yeah, so the practical applications are uh, are slim, uh, if if any. But um, the way that it was described is that it, it's sort of a message to the city and to the police department to um, to not go after any abortions if one is reported. Um, you know, it's it's unlikely that SAPD, per this direction, is um, is going to go after people uh, for having an abortion, whether it's. Um, Kind of an under the radar abortion is probably more likely, of course, in San Antonio. Um, abor- abortion providers are not any more likely to come open or set up shop in San Antonio or anything now, just because of this resolution. So uh, it really is primarily symbolic. I think Terry Castillo wanted to send a message to her constituency, constituency, and a lot of people who were asking for this that hey, we hear you, and um, you know, we we want to support you, and and. Um, you know, kind of, kind of also putting up a, a barrier between themselves at the city level and then, of course, the state legislature. We were talking before we started uh, recording. And you said this was the most contentious council meeting that you had that you had uh, covered. Um, can you describe the, you know, the uh, some of the discussion that happened last week? Yeah, it was one of the most rowdy meetings that I've seen. Of course, there's a lot of passion on both sides uh, of, of the abortion debate, uh, you know, as the mayor acknowledged. And um, it it was almost never quiet in the council chambers. Whenever someone would talk, there was always someone talking over them. Um, there were people praying and praying the Our Father. And then there are kind of jeers and chides coming, you know, from the the other side. Um, there there wasn't so much of a debate going on as, as there was... Um, you know, speakers who who would come out there about a hundred people really in all who'd come out to say one thing or the other. And you had people on the abortion rights side just saying, this does mean something. We understand that this is symbolic, but it's important to us that we think that our city government supports us in this way. And, um, and that, you know, we're giving this direction to SAPD. And then we had people, of course, on the other side of debate saying, well, you know, you, you have a responsibility really at the end of the day to, to follow 
state law and anything going against that is, you know, uh, against your oath of office, essentially. You had two council members who who voted against the resolution. Clayton Perry, who is is a Republican, was recently in, in, the, in the mix for uh, the uh, county commissioner uh nomination in precinct three. Uh, and I think just he, he's just not a supporter of, of abortion access. Uh, but you also had Manny Pelias, uh, voting against it. What was his, uh, the case that he made, uh, for voting against it? Yeah. Manny Pelias made an, uh, an interesting case and, and, um, you could tell when he began speaking that he was going to vote no, because he was speaking of his work and how deeply he supports um, women's rights and the work that he's done in the domestic violence realm, of course, and all of this and saying, you know, kind of putting out there. So, you know, before I take this vote, just so you know where I stand on this. And I mean, but he was really unequivocal in terms of condemning the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe and, um, and his criticism of the state legislature was was just really unequivocal in those terms, um, but still said, you know, I'm I'm going to vote no because this is symbolic and because it um, it doesn't have any any teeth, right? There's real there's no real way to enforce this, um, and you know there there's a bit of kind of a talking in, in circles there. You know, he said he would want something like a like an ordinance that would be stronger that the city can enforce. Um, but of course made clear, you know, in, in hearing from the city attorney that they're, they're not comfortable doing an, an ordinance that the city doesn't think that they would be able to to go that far. Was he talking about Austin as a model? I mean, it, did he want to pursue kind of the same path? He did. He talked about Austin. Um, mm-hmm. He said that he, if if the city were to propose an ordinance, he would support it mm-hmm. while also making clear that that will not happen. So <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what do you think he was doing? I mean, what, what do you think his larger kind of uh, political aims were in taking that weird kind of uh, what you're doing isn't enough and I'm not going to vote for this symbolic resolution? You know, I, I think uh, as, as you had told me, Greg, he's got people on, on both sides of the debate who will, remember this vote and, um, and people who may not remember it as much. And, um, you know, there, there are people on the, the anti-abortion side of this who, who will recall his no vote and maybe appreciate that. Um, despite the, Mm -hmm. you know, as he, as he points to all the work that he's done in the women's rights realm. Yeah. I see it as kind of, I I think he wants to run for mayor at some point. (laughs) And I think I, I don't, completely follow the logic, but I think his vote had something to do with that, that maybe, uh, abortion, you know, the supporters of, of abortion rights, uh, you know, they, they aren't as steadfast as pro-life activists and they might not remember, uh, this resolution in a few years when he maybe runs for mayor. But those on the pro-life side may actually remember his no vote. <laughs> I mean, that that's well, one possible. Or maybe both sides will remember it and he can argue that he supported both right. sides, you know? I mean, yeah. Well, it, it reminds me a little bit. I don't think it will have the impact of that. But in, in when city council passed a non-discrimination ordinance in 2013 and you had Ivy Taylor, who was then a member of city council, she was representing the east side, probably at up to that point, I think most of us who had followed her would have thought, well, she's probably kind of like a moderate Democrat. I mean, she had had her picture taken with Obama and, and, and you know, her she hadn't been a, a real partisan figure, but I think that was the sort of the perception. And she voted against it, saying that she was concerned about businesses being uh, on, in her district uh, being restricted in some way by this ordinance. 
And it stayed with her forever. I mean, from that point on, and in, in ways that were probably politically beneficial and harmful to her, because when she became, it was after she was appointed mayor, she became kind of a favorite of conservatives in the city because they thought she's the one who voted against the non-discrimination ordinance. And so she's her, she sort of developed this constituency, and then she was despised by people on the left. And so she sort of ended up with this constituency that I don't know really ever really matched her own uh, ideology, but that's what she got. So I don't think this is going to impact many plus in that same way. I'm not, I, I don't think that for a minute, but it's interesting how sometimes like one vote, you know, where you're Manny kind of can, trying to thread the needle in some way. Can, can, Manny can talk his way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and just like on that note as well, I think it's notable that Manny Plias has already come out against an expansion of the non-discrimination ordinance has been proposed at, at council as well. So he's he's kind of following that that path. Does sound a little bit like a mayoral candidate kind of train. Um, on the same day that the, the San Antonio City Council passed that resolution, you had um, a vote in Kansas. They were voting on a referendum. Which would uh, it was it was a constitutional amendment that would enable the state legislature to ban abortion if they if they chose to do it. Uh, we all know Kansas is historically one of the most uh, Republican states in the United States, and uh, to the surprise of many, they the voters of Kansas voted against this constitutional amendment by fifty nine to forty one percent margin. Um, they had an incredible turnout. I think it was more than 900,000, which uh, as far as I know, I think is, is easily the biggest uh, that they've ever had for a primary election there. Megan, you you lived in Kansas for a little while. I don't want to try to uh, uh, make you the, the expert for Kansas because I know it was a short time that you were there. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to put all that burden on you. But, you know, you do have some, you know, experience with Kansas and the voters there. Um, what was your your takeaway from that that election? Yeah, I think um, for some people, the the vote was shocking. For others, not so much. You know, um, abortion has been a defining political issue in Kansas for decades. And I think a lot of people, um, particularly abortion supporters, have always felt a sense of urgency and pushing back and campaigning and showing up and um, have felt that and, and knew that they would need to, to show up. You know, um, the state of Kansas is defined by some um, national sort of uh, abortion issue moments in the country, the Summer of Mercy in 1991 in Wichita, Kansas, uh, when you had anti-abortion protesters um, show up in the city and block entrances to abortion clinics and were arrested. Uh, and that kind of thing was really kind of a national touch point for a lot of people. And looking at Kansas as a state um, you know, that, that was sort of defined by abortion politics. And then from that point forward, a lot of Republican politicians in Kansas felt that they had to be, you know, really hard line on abortion after the summer of mercy. Um, and then you had, of course, Dr. George Tiller was uh, murdered in Wichita, Kansas in 2009, um, was known for doing late term, late term abortions, um, late term in pregnancy. And, um, so I think a lot of people in Kansas feel it as, as a defining issue and, um, and we're ready to show up and vote on it. I guess one one question I have because you know obviously this this was a story that got big national attention and a lot of people were trying to draw uh, you know lessons from that as far as the November midterm elections. Uh, I think what what we saw is that you can energize people behind this issue, um, and because of you know the, the massive turnout, um, what I what I wonder is is this something that. Um, you know how this is going to play out in other states, particularly Texas, which is Texas has been pretty conservative on the abortion issue. The thing that I'm wondering is, uh, if you're a Democrat, if you're Beth O'Rourke, for example, who, by all indications, if we look at the recent polling, has has closed the gap with Greg Abbott. It's a pretty, it looks like a pretty close race. 
how hard do you lean in on this issue, on, on, on the fact that people are upset about the Supreme Court decision, uh, which took away the federal uh, right to uh, abortion? How hard do you lean in on that? Or do you, is it part of a broader argument that you make about extremism? And this is at a time when uh, we're seeing not only backlash to the Supreme Court decision, we're seeing uh, a lot of anger over the fact that Republicans have been reluctant to do anything on on gun reform, uh, even after the Uvalde school shooting. Um, we've had the Alex Jones trial last week where we saw, you know, a, a really prominent right wing voice having to, you know, in court, having to deal with the fact that he perpetrated a hoax uh, or, or called the Sandy Hook school shooting of 2012 a hoax. Um, we had the CPAC conference in Dallas last week where Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, who has talked about, uh, uh, has come out against what he called mixed race societies, he appears at CPAC and gets a standing ovation. You had uh, a jail cell that was set up there where you had an actor um, portraying a January 6th insurrectionist. Um, and uh, people were, and he was crying, and Marjorie Taylor Greene and others came, you know, came to visit him there and offer support. Um, and then you had these January, these televised January 6th hearings, which have shown, you know, the, the full extent of the former President Trump's, uh, you know, in, involvement in, in, in that sort of attempt to overturn the results of the election. So I, I was very long-winded there, but I think my, my, my question is, is abortion just maybe a, a, a part of the argument that, you're, that, that, that Democrats make to say, Republicans like Greg Abbott and others are, they're so consumed with culture war issues and th these extreme ideas that they're not really getting anything important done for the people of, of our state. Is that, is that the argument? Um, yeah, I, I think that that's part of the argument, but also, I mean, you can look at it as, uh, you know, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. This is, you know, the culture wars have been going on for a long time. This was the clearest victory. Like you actually have a huge uh, precedent being overturned and it affects everybody. <laughs> I mean, you know, everybody's access to abortion is now in question uh, because it's up to the states. State legislatures can turn from blue to red and they're, you know, uh, you're vulnerable in a way you weren't before. So it's like, this is the clearest real world result of that kind of extremism. So yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of, I think it's catalyzing in a way in, you know, that we haven't seen before. And I think that maybe had something to do with the vote in Kansas. I'm also really curious, just in terms of Kansas, like how much of it had to do with an urban vote, like, like in Wichita, and you know overland park and things like that i mean are you seeing like a more assertive maybe left-leaning voting block there because that's you know you could see something similar in texas i think. I, I don't think that was the case i think what i've seen some of my former colleagues uh and and you know looking at this vote that was, was most interesting that they've been talking about is um just that I mean, if you're going to cast this as something against extremism, that there's a case for that in these rural counties in Kansas, where um, a lot of these counties that you know are heavily rural had heavily voted for Donald Trump, where the the margin, um, you know, still still had 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 voted yes on on the amendment, but the margin was much smaller. And so I think a lot of people were saying, well, this this shows that. Um, 
when it comes to abortion, the, the public opinion is nuanced. You know, you don't have everyone saying we want a total ban. We want total access. People want something on a spectrum. And that vote was a much closer margin in rural Republican areas shows that they're not ready for a total ban. They're not ready to hand this over to the state legislature to say completely get rid of this. Maybe they don't want total access either, but you have people who want to be able to have a spectrum and want to push back against that complete sort of um, extremism. It's a great point. It's it also so much of it has to do with how issues are framed, how a, a referendum, you know, the language of a referendum, because I think, uh, as you say, people, you see polling numbers ch shift quite a bit when you, when you alter the question, if you start saying, when you ask people, uh, even before this recent Supreme Court decision, should Roe v. Wade be preserved? Tremendous support for that. Then you start, as you start asking, should uh, uh, women have access to abortion at 20 weeks or whatever, as you start going deeper into that, the numbers start to change. And so there is nuance in that. And so I just, I, I, I think this is part of of an argument that Democrats can make, certainly in this state where we have a lot of problems, you know, whether it's education, whether we have the power grid, various things that, I think most people would say have not been adequately addressed. And I think the argument, if the argument is that it's the, the Republican party has just become so extreme and they're not dealing in any practical way with the big problems of the state because they're so consumed with these other things. Um, I mean, that could be, but I don't know if Beto work, if he, if he makes abortion central to it, if, he, if it's, if it's, that's the big issue. I, I'm not sure. And I, I'm curious, you know, I don't know what you think, Brian. I, I, I think that it's, it's, it will energize certainly a lot of, you know, progressives, but it's, it's a tough issue in Texas because it also, it also stirs up a lot of, I mean, I know as, as a, as a columnist, every time, you know, I wrote about Beth O'Rourke during his 2018 Senate run, you know, I would just get all these emails referring to him as a baby killer. You know, that it's, it's, that's a big part of, of, of the Texas uh, electorate as well. Well, it seems like he's focused primarily on the gun issue over abortion, um, from what I've seen at least. Um, and then, uh, the larger point I wanted to make is it, it seems like, uh, being on the defense can sometimes really motivate voters to turn out. And, uh, that's, that might be why you see in midterm elections, you know, the, the party that's in power, you know, gets swept. Um, but in this, in this case, it seems like the atmosphere is that even though Democrats are in power, theoretically, that, uh, we're still on, they are still on defense, uh, with Roe v. Wade. Um, so much of, as, as y'all said, the extremism that's, uh, at play right now. So that, that might, uh, balance out the dynamic in November. It might be one of the, one of those rare midterm elections where both sides are extremely energized. It might be almost be more like a, like a presidential election cycle or something where just both sides are really, uh, are going to turn out in big numbers. Yeah. Brian, you had a story over the weekend about uh, about Uvalde, and you know it was about Pete Arredondo, the uh, who is you know has been kind of central to this to the, the all the questions that people have had about um, the the slow law enforcement response uh, to the the May twenty fourth school shooting. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you found you found out about his background? It was really fascinating. Sure. So we we've known for weeks that. Pete Arredondo had been demoted in, in Webb County back in 2014 by the Webb County Sheriff Martin Cuellar, who happens to be uh, Henry Cuellar, Congressman Henry Cuellar's brother. Uh, we had known that for weeks, but then uh, with the help from a freelance reporter, Joshua Eaton, uh, we were able to get our hands on some documents from Webb County that uh, definitively showed that Cuellar had demoted Arredondo back in uh, 2014. 
Uh, like I said, w- what we didn't know though was why. So, you know, the challenge, f- the reporting challenge was to get Martine on the phone and to open up and tell us why, uh, which took some time. But uh, eventually he he did tell us that uh, he went into some detail about how Pete did not get along well mm. with his colleagues while he was at Webb County. And he had been, so he had been an assistant uh, uh, chief, I believe. Was that right? Yeah. yeah. Assistant chief and then demoted to commander of the patrol division, which was uh, a, a lot fewer responsibilities there. Um, and then he eventually left Webb County in uh, 2017, I believe. Um, and another aspect to the story was that uh, when Uvalde CISD hired him, in 2020, I believe, they apparently did not do a very thorough job of vetting him. Uh, Martin said that they didn't call him. They didn't call the, the sheriff of Webb County to say, hey, how did Pete do while he was there for many years? Um, they also apparently did not request his service record until after they had already announced his hiring. Uh, so, um, yeah. Yeah. To yeah. me, that was, that was one of the most remarkable things about that story. It was mm-hmm. what, six days after they announced yeah. his hiring on Facebook, they, yeah. you have them reaching out to, to the Laredo school district asking for, mm-hmm. you know, asking for his personnel file, which was just remarkable. And was it in, uh, it was after he left the Webb County Sheriff's office, but I, I don't recall if it was when he was applying to the Laredo school district or Uvalde, but he, uh, in his, uh, kind of application packet took credit for two successful hostages. <laughs> Saving six yeah, lives. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Brian, go into that a little bit. That was, that was, yeah. So, so I asked Martine, I said, well, you know, did you give him a lifesaver award for saving six lives and two separate hostage, uh, incidents? And he couldn't remember the award. He could remember one incident, uh, that Pete was uh, involved in at the command center, but um, he said it wasn't all Pete. You know, it was primarily actually Martin and ironically Victor Escalon with uh, the Texas Department of Public Safety. If you remember him, he gave that disastrous press conference uh, where he got uh, just sort of dug a hole for, for TPS even deeper. Uh, but anyway, uh, Martin Cuellar said that I think this was back in 2012, there was a felon who was holed up in a house with uh, five or six undocumented immigrants and he had a gun and uh, they had to uh, talk him into throwing the gun down and then they slowly moved, Victor and Martin slowly walked into the house and handcuffed him and Pete was back at the command center and took credit for that on his application. So, Well, there, there have been so many uh, failures connected to this, uh, you know, to the Uvalde school shooting and... Um, the the failure to vet this person who ended up playing such a crucial role in the handling of this i mean that's that's that becomes a big the mishandling the yeah yeah mm-hmm. absolutely well we're gonna wrap things up there hope everyone's doing well and thank you for listening and uh, we'll be back with you next week take care